hope you're tucked in. Cause you are now in bed with Dr. Sue. Welcome everyone to the new and hopefully improved In Bed with Dr. Sue. I'm your host, Dr. Sue, and it's been a while since I had a chance to talk to you guys, a couple months anyway. But I'm happy to be back to bring all my fantastic listeners, new ideas, and of course, awesome new guests. So that hopefully you can come away with a bit more knowledge, followed by your mind opening just a tiny bit more. Yes, I was going to change the name of the show to Exposed, but I got to thinking that everyone knows the show is in bed, and even though I'll be bringing you topics that aren't necessarily related to sex and fetish, you'll still find what I bring you intriguing and thought-provoking, so we're going to leave it as In Bed with Dr. Sue. And although we are no longer live, at least I know you'll be able to hear myself and my fabu guests, as opposed to crossing my fingers and hoping that everything works. I miss live radio because I think there's nothing like it in the world, but until I can find a better platform, we'll stick with podcasting. Now, even though you can't call in live to the show, I've made arrangements for in-bed listeners to be able to still call in and leave me both your thoughts on a show you may have just listened to, but also, I'm going to be asking for your opinions on upcoming shows through Twitter and Facebook. So, Make sure that you are connected with us through Twitter and Facebook, which you can find at InBedWithDrSue.com. I'm going to be giving you a new phone number. You can leave a message. Your comments and thoughts are going to be put on the following show. So please feel free to give us a call anytime. Write this down. 347-759-6131. This is a U.S. phone number via Skype, but you don't have to have Skype to call in, of course. It's available 24-7 for you to leave a message. So remember, that number is 347-759-6131, InBed's new phone number. Don't forget, all the shows are always available on InBedWithDrSue.com. Now, because this new format creates a new feed, it'll be a bit until it's picked up by iTunes, But rest assured, we will be available on iTunes and a whole bunch of other podcast broadcasting sites. I'll be sure to get those links to you when I have them. And I'll also, of course, be putting them up on the website. Don't forget that all of my past blog talk radio shows are archived on the site for you to listen to at your leisure as well. Captain Joe is still in bed with me. So for you Joe lovers, don't worry. You still have the good captain ready to guide you through with his sarcasm and wit a little bit later in the show with his new segment called Average Joe. It's his version of a cross between the late and definitely great Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes and Peter Griffin's What Grinds My Gears. You're going to love it. I want to give a few quick shout outs. First of all, if you haven't heard, there's a new phone sex site on the block, SinfulCall.com, where you can find a bevy of stunning ladies to turn you on and twist your minds, the least of which being myself, but there's also Queen Kitty, Chocolate Dom, Toxic Goddess, Bella Daisy, Miss Fox, Goddess Brie, Goddess Helen Bed, Goddess Tiffy, my God, there's so many goddesses, it's like a buffet for you guys. So many more stunning ladies that if you can't find what you're looking for, you are too damn picky. So hit up SinfulCall.com and go have some fun. Also, 
Madame Beatrice has been writing up a storm on Amazon recently with her latest releases, The Philosophical Dom, Collected Essays and Rants on Femdom, BDSM, and Kink Theory, Caged and Trained to Please, Chastity Training and Forced By for the Caged Husband, and finally, Anything for Mistress. All of these are available on um, on. All of these are available on Amazon, as I said, and there are links on In Bed with Dr. Sue on this show's page to all of her latest works, so be sure to pick those up. You're going to love them. Also on a literary front, Madame Sosse penned a guide for those interested in financial domination called Greed, also available on Amazon, and the links are also available on InBedWithDrSue.com. Congrats to these ladies. You may think it's nothing to write a book, but I can tell you firsthand it takes dedication and fortitude to get it done, and these lovely ladies deserve your attention. So be sure to hit up their work, and please, I cannot implore you more. Always leave feedback when you read an author's book, both good and bad, provided it's constructive, don't be rude. It helps the author get an insight into what you want and need from them. So always review whatever it is you've read. I don't care what it, I don't even care if it's Stephen King, although he probably doesn't read them, but you really should. So leave a review after you've read these fantastic books. And speaking of great books, I have three guests on this episode that you will definitely want to hit up on Amazon. There's a reason why I waited until the you know last couple of days of February 1st, bit of March, to release this podcast. February is always deemed the month of love because of Valentine's Day. I'm making this show on keeping your love alive, the anti-Valentine's Day show. Why? Because I think we put so much emphasis and pressure on getting into a relationship that once we have it, we think it's smooth sailing, all the work's done, you got them, you bagged them, you've caged them, that's it. Quite the contrary. Once the honeymoon stage at the beginning of a new relationship is over, that's when the real work begins. It's easy to fall in love. We all love falling in love. The excitement, the anticipation, the butterflies in your stomach, the wet panties at the thought of all the new things you're going to do with your lover next. But what about after the glow is off? After you've been together six months, a year, ten years? How do we keep those feelings going after we get into the day-to-day drudgery of life? When you have a new baby or, heck, if you've got kids in middle school, what difference does it make? When you've been together so long, you've heard all your partner's stories a thousand times and want to shove a fork in your eye. What if your relationship is long distance? How do you keep that going? How do you stay connected between your job, your family obligations, and just getting the bills paid? Well, my guests today are here to teach us all about how to keep that love light burning. My first guests are award-winning authors Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson. They are a deeply devoted married couple who have been teaching and writing about sexuality since 1999, and who've just published... Partners in Passion, a guide to great sex, emotional intimacy, and long-term love. The following is my interview with Mark and Patricia. You guys have been in the literary world for a while. Tell us about how long you've been around. 
Well, this is our fourth book. The first one came out in 2007. And our first three books were really very specifically focused on on tantric sexuality, which is what our our background is. The current book is called Partners in Passion, and it's really written for people who would never dream of picking up a tantra book. And what we found when we, we've worked with couples as we've gone through these years of working with people, we, we're finding that there's a real specific and exact skill set that we can impart. And that's what we're, we share in Partners in Passion. Well, you say that you work with couples. Now, do you guys have like a counseling service or how do you work with couples? <laughs> we wouldn't describe ourselves as counselors by any stretch. We are, are teachers. We have, we've been trained traditionally in Tantra and we're authorized to, to teach by our teacher. But we don't look at it as counseling. We're not really interested in dealing with couples who are in crisis. We don't have the skill set or the training for that. What we try to do is give couples who are in a pretty good place, techniques for getting even better. That's fabulous. So so everything else before was tantric. Why go in this direction? Just because of these issues that were coming up with some of your clients? That was a big part of it. I think also we we feel that the the our background in tantra can inform the work and can be accessible for people who might be put off by by a, an exotic and foreign and seemingly mystical kind of tradition. Right. So so the main basis of this book seems to be communication, which we all know is key. Yeah, it is. It is communication. But we do say that while communication is important, talking is overrated, which I love that. I absolutely love that. What is up with that? Well, I, I think that people have in in trying to teach relationship skills in the past 20 or 30 years, have focused very, very much on verbal expression and the importance of of trying to tell your partner how your needs should be met in a relationship. And repeatedly get as specific and have these long conversations. And lo and behold, uh, we wanted to figure out why they were not working. So when you're when you're having a conversation, and especially if you're expressing a, a request or something that you're feeling unsatisfied about in the relationship, what happens is that you end up most of the time getting polarized because the part of your brain that tells the story that, that is verbal, that is narrative, is building a case. And even if you're actively listening to what your partner is saying, there's a very good chance that in one part of your brain, you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking about how are you going to rebut this assertion that your partner has made. So this part of the brain is not the part of your brain that is active when you're falling in love. And we, right. right? And we encourage people yeah. to be well-versed in nonverbal communication, be together without speaking and really, um, get connected and harmonized before you try to have conversations that might address conflict. So, okay. So where normally we've all been taught communication, constantly tell your partner what you want. You've got things in here like emotional honesty can be harmful. Explain that. (laughs) (laughs) I happen to know, to be fair though, I happen to agree with you. There are certain things you should talk about and certain things you shouldn't because we tend to own or overanalyze, especially women. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I'll say it. (laughs) I think when people say, and, and this really illustrates the problem with honesty, when people say, to tell you the truth. Or I'm just being honest. It's usually the preface to saying something uh, hurtful or negative. 
And so we do think that honesty is very important and transparency is very important. But discretion and thinking about timing and thinking very carefully about how your words are going to be received, all of those things are equally as important. And if you're just... Do you think that's a male trait, though, that guys just don't know how to communicate with women properly in the sense of they tend to regurgitate and just go blah and, t- and say everything. And then the poor woman is sitting there going, oh, my God, now what do I do? Oh, geez. I wouldn't gender that. I mean, I think that this happens on both sides. It may take slightly <laughs> different forms with men and women, um, but... Women, too, can come up with litanies of complaints, can can store up things that they resent and, and vent just as, as men do. So what you guys are saying is, say, for example, OK, I prefer a certain sexual um, position in bed. You don't necessarily need to sit down and have a full blown discussion about this. What do you think is better? You can you could probably communicate that non-verbally, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, so give me some examples. Well, I mean, we have a series of questions we encourage people to ask themselves before expressing something honestly. And that is, is it true? Is it appropriate? Is this an appropriate time? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? These are probably familiar to most people, but I think the appropriate time question is one that people don't ask often enough. Another one is, does it improve on the silence? And is it kind? Which also is a typical... You're not necessarily saying, okay, don't communicate. You're saying, use your head before you open your mouth, technically. Right, because if you (laughs) don't, you can't take back your words. And you're with someone who is your beloved. We should be, you know, caring for one another and bringing out the best in one another. And if you don't have the wherewithal, you could shoot out some words that scar and you cannot take your words back. You can only move forward. And in the realm of sexual communication, I think it people are really, really vulnerable around that. And if you communicate your requests in a way that, first of all, at a time that that's bad, like immediately after sex, because people are really open and vulnerable then, or in a way that, that seems critical, you're much less likely to get what you want from your partner. So it's much better to begin with things that you really appreciate and enjoy, and then say, and I'd like to try maybe doing something in a slightly different way or slowing down next time. But again, a day after the encounter and the issue has arisen. And always begin with three spoons of sugar. Talk about how amazing your sex life is right now. What particular and specific thing that happened the last time you made love that just sent you in an amazing realm and just other things that you find exquisite before you go and I wonder what it would feel like if we changed positions (laughs) exactly so this is and this is exactly what I teach how the words that are coming out of your mouth is going to affect the other person I am constantly teaching people whenever you are going to get into a, a confrontation with anyone, first of all, try not to make it a confrontation. But if you do, never come at the person with pointing fingers and you, 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 you did this, you did this, you did this. Never, ever do that because the minute you do that, they shut down. They're not going to hear you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the other, so your three spoons of sugar is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> the other never, and this one, I think people, and it goes, we sort of touched on this, is If you have something that you're distressed about, do not go beyond the confines of that particular thing. Don't throw in the kitchen sink with your complaints. Or dog pile. That's just brutal. 
Yeah, in other words, we're not going to sit here and go through a whole laundry list of everything I can't stand about you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but- <laughs> because again, when you do that, you're coming at it from that standpoint of pointing fingers. Yeah. Plus, it's a lot to take in, right? Yeah. Well, it, it also can be really subtle. I mean, we've just been reading this this article in the New York Times about egalitarian marriages and supposed problems with sexuality in those marriages. And there's this anecdote in there about a woman who sees her husband getting into the shower after he's come back from the gym. And her immediate reaction is that she's feeling turned on by him. But then she sees that he's thrown his clothes on the floor. And that diminishes her arousal. They get into a conversation, and then it turns into... Well, you didn't vacuum yesterday. Even that's like a small example of dogpiling, but keep it on the issue. And for me, I would suggest if you have that erotic current, stay with that. How can why let clothes distract you from being aroused by your partner? <laughs> Crazy. Women especially, we end up getting so mired down by the day-to-day little details that that's the kind of thing that can trigger stuff. It's just, it's the slightest, tiniest little thing that usually triggers these arguments. Yeah, and I see those those times when you're really easily triggered by really minor things. It's a sign that you are out of harmony and you need to connect with your partner non-verbally. I swear if people maintain that, they would not have these kind of bickering episodes. Well, expand on that a little. Like, okay, so when you say, I'm irritated and he just threw his coat on the floor or whatever. How should we be dealing with that? Well, again, I mean, if it's something like throwing the coat on the floor, the first thing you do is is very gently ask for what you want. <laughs> I, I sometimes say, wow. So, so I see that the hangers in the closet aren't working for you. Is there something else we can, you know, I don't, does that sound sarcastic? <laughs> I don't think it's sarcasm. It's, I think it's more, you know, it's, well, no, actually it is sarcasm. Well, no, it's, I don't it's, mean it's my. No, I know what you mean though, but it's true. You do just kind of go, oh, okay. So clearly this isn't working for you. Hello. Yeah. But, I, yeah. My assumption is always that he has goodwill toward me, my well-being and my relationship. And if something happens that I don't particularly like, I know that something is not functioning in his world. It's not ever a personal act against me or, you know, maybe mild inconsideration, but never a affrontation. Affront? Yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And um, all too often I see couples when, um, you know, the coat lands on the chair or something and it's like, you never are considerate. You always expect me to pick up from after you, blah, blah, blah. You know, and those are distancing kind of comments, right? And it, and it, it, it's, it can be, um, and it makes it big. That's, what, that's taking those little things and making them gigantic. And I think it's also because if you're spending your entire day shelving these feelings and pushing them down, that eventually you blow and then it becomes this huge, huge, huge thing that it never really needed to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly... We don't advocate bottling up, suppressing emotions. What we do advocate is when there's conflict, uh, and to, to get a little more concrete about it, we, we suggest that people take a few minutes and gaze into each other's eyes and not talk. And what happens if you do that is that you're getting out of that verbalizing part of the brain. You're getting into a position of, of, of harmony with each other. You're 
your systems are synced up and it then becomes much easier to turn and address whatever the issue is. And this establishes a real visceral uh, recognition and knowledge that you are team members, you're together, you are in love, you're developing this wonderful relationship together and whatever issue is not between you. So so that's one of the things you can do is just, okay, so what am I doing when I'm looking into his eyes? We say uh, focus with your right eye. Intently. Look into your partner's left with your right. Yeah. And because the left does what? What does the left side of the face do? Uh, it, it reveals actually your emotional states. Because this is, this is again going left brain, right brain, right? That too, right. yeah. In the process of doing this, if you're focusing all of your attention on your right eye and looking into your partner's left, you're giving your left hemisphere a task. You're th- oh, that's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about your feelings. You're, not, you're just, it's a meditation. You're giving that left hemisphere a task, you're syncing up with your partner, and you're not thinking about anything. With a little bit of practice, you find that quite quickly, you start getting nonverbal. And we have a problem when we're teaching. <laughs> <laughs> when we demonstrate this, we start going into la-la land. It's Well, do you not? Okay, when they, when people first do that, do they not giggle and go, okay, this feels really stupid because what am I supposed to be doing? Because we always think we should be doing something. Right. And yes, there is laughter. And, and oftentimes, especially with long-term couples, they've, you know, we found they not only lost touch with one another, they've kind of lost sight. And when they start to reconnect in that way, it the energy starts flowing. And, and it comes in in the form of laughter. That's fine. So that's, so that's one thing. So, okay, what am I doing? I'm looking into his eyes. I'm meditating. I'm trying to let this go. Like, okay, what if I'm angry? Because yeah, you said <laughs> this is a good technique to use if I'm pissed with the person. Shut up. Sit down. Start to reconnect. Yeah. yeah. When do we get verbal or do we? You weigh, you weigh, if your brain is still building a case in, you know, calculating that sentence, that one sentence that's going to make Mark go, you know what, Patricia, you are so right. And I was so wrong. So very, very wrong. (laughs) And I'm so, so sorry. (laughs) You're not connecting. No, because you're over on the other side of the brain calculating and figuring the whole thing out. Once that brain, that part of that little chatter just quiets, then then you can start talking again. So you're not actually trying not to think. I, it's, it's a very <laughs> difficult because that's the hardest thing about meditation, at least for me, is is clearing the clearing the mind and letting all the rubbish go. Yeah, right. And, and letting it go is a great analogy. Just let it go because the arguments come and go, and and they'll quiet down if you. You just trust the practice. The beauty of this approach, and it's I, it's widely taught by Tantra teachers, but I think our, our take on it is a little different than most. And the beauty of it is that by focusing all of your attention on just looking through your right eye, the mind will eventually go quiet. So literally close the literally close your left no, eye. No, leave the left eye open, but don't okay. put any attention on it at all. And that's enough. That's a task. And then the brain, the brain, that part of your brain, think of it as throwing the, the dog a bone. It'll gnaw on just like that task and quiet down. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And that's what you need when you're highly emotional and in distress about something. Um, but it's also fantastic as a daily practice. So you can always gauge your level of connection with your partner. So that's where we began is daily doing this. Yeah. I mean, I guess one thing that we we left out a little bit in this explanation is that in order to use this in those difficult situations, you have to have established it as a practice in the situations where everything's fine. It's a skill that you then can apply when things get a little rougher. 
So when you when you think about it, when you f- see young couples that are in love, or back when you first started falling in love, there's ch- good chance you spent lots of time just gazing into each other's eyes in silence. And what we feel is that's creating the circumstances in which you can fall in love. And if couples know that, they can actively choose to create these circumstances again and again throughout their lifetimes together. So when when you're looking into the other person, like how do we know when it's over? How do like what are we gauging this? What do we what are we looking for? <laughs> Sometimes you don't want it to end. You just like <laughs> Hopefully, if you're still loving the person, yeah. Well, I, you know, for the when it's done as a formal practice, we recommend that people start out and use a timer and just do it for two to three minutes initially. As you get more skilled and and familiar with it, you'll kind of know. I mean, you once it's a habit and once you've established it as a as a a timeout that you both agree you're going to take before you have the argument. You'll typically know conversation mark conversation, conversation argument <laughs> before you diffuse the argument and turn it into a conversation is actually the best, <laughs> That's way, the to best way to put it. You you kind of just through practice get to a place where you're you're aware enough of each other that you know when to stop and because, when to talk. Because I mean during the practice you're reading each other's nonverbal cues and you're going to see your partner relax and melt and tension around the eyes and any indication that they're still in a place of hurt or you know a distance distancing place that you're going to feel that and recognize it immediately. You, you get so attuned with each other. I think it's a beautiful practice just to do anyways. Like, you know, like it's, it sounds, what if, what it reminds me of is the act that we're all trying to get everybody to do, which is very, very difficult, which is meditation for one thing is to quiet the mind. And if it's it taking that and putting it into a relationship sort of setting and saying, okay, we are bombarded every day with so much information and so much technology and so much just constantly nattering at us, I think, to do this on a daily basis just for the reconnection and the quieting of the mind alone would be brilliant. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we when we first got together, we did it as a formal practice every time we were together. We're now so familiar with it that we just do it periodically throughout the day. And it's it's Just, a cornerstone of our relationship. Right. It's really, it's wonderful too if we're out in a public event. It's very grounding to just catch Mark's eyes from across the room. I mean, and I can, we both totally know where the other person's at. It's just a really, a wonderful connecting feeling. And you're right. You know what? Couples lose that. Yeah. Because you're so involved in the day to day that you completely lose that connection. And it's such a simple thing to do to bring it back. Yes. And it, it's 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 so vital. It's it's even vital in our development stage as infants that we maintain that have a, a steady or enough gaze, caring gaze from a caregiver, our parent. So now is this is this particular technique? Are there more techniques or like what's what does the book? Discuss. The book is filled with <laughs> lots of techniques. Oh, okay, so it's not just looking in eyes, guys. There's a lot more to do. 50 pages of eye gazing. No, it's it's a lot of, <laughs> of how to uh, how to have conversations about sexuality. You know, like we pointed out, the instructions how to how to reach erotic consensus when you decide on what kind of a sexual adventure you want to explore as a couple. Advice on which for my show, I have to tell you because I do a lot of work in fetish and I do a lot of work in the alternative stuff. Yeah. That's really really key 
Yes. What you just said. Right. Otherwise, um, you know, it becomes a demand performance dynamic. And that's not fun. That's not a rock. No, exactly. And you want both of you to be doing whatever it is you decide to do sexually, whether you're, you know, okay, things are stale, let's do something different. If you you need to have that connection before you do it, as far as I'm concerned, this book is brilliant to me as a precursor to changes in your sex life. So if you've decided, okay, we've both decided, I should say, that we want to bring another person into our bedroom, which is a huge step. Right. Yeah. You certainly don't want to be not communicating ahead of that. <laughs> right. That's not going to work, guys. The poor person you brought in the bedroom is going to be like, what the heck? What's going on? <laughs> exactly. So this, it sounds brilliant from that standpoint. It's because so many people, when they get into relationships and things go stale, they go, oh, well, let's just grab so-and-so and throw them in the bedroom with us and everything will be wonderful again. And it's like, no, you've still got the problems. But this would connect you first before you make any drastic changes, which is why I think it's perfect for them. We, we also have instructions on, I mean, specifically erotic consensus. And that is when your partner comes in and reveals maybe something that is considered kink by, you know, common <laughs> standards, um, we consider it all normal as long as you're adults and consent. But if, if something, your partner presents something that causes a slight shock in your system and makes you feel a little afraid, the first step is to not voice that fear. The first step is to really understand what it is about that activity that turns your partner on and why they're interested and really tap into that and really go ask questions and understand deeply what this means to your partner. And then take some time and and really think about what's going to happen before you respond. So that sometimes that, that stage might be a few days later. But if you take that approach, you'll discover the wiggle room. Exactly. Not like, oh my God. There's no, you're not running up against that brick wall, which can happen if you just, that's what I mean when I said earlier is that men have a bad habit because I deal mostly with men, have a bad habit of going home. Their poor wife who's been, you know, just in this vanilla lifestyle for so long, he regurgitates, oh, I've decided that, you know, I want to dress in women's clothing and bring another guy into the bedroom. She's just going to go, what, 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 what? <laughs> like, it's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Right. And what you're speaking out to is, is this, um, you know, erotic wounding. If someone has buried their erotic self, hasn't been true to it, it can feel and take on a sense of emergency when they're, if they wait and wait and wait, if they're in their 40s and suddenly have the courage to actually bring voice to this. We remind mm. people that while there's an intensity of emotion, it's not an actual emergency. And so that, you know, people can breathe through this, relax and find wiggle room. And gradually it's sometimes people, we, we had a student once who, who literally spoke as if he was going with this intense fear that he might die before he experienced a threesome. And when that kind of emotion is there, someone actually has a fear, I may die. <laughs> Without having had this thing that I really think is important. You can't find a um, place to make progression and, and explore together. It's like... If you... No, because you're not coming from a... Fear is the exact opposite of love. Yeah. You want to be coming from a place of love, not right. a place of fear in anything you do. And I totally understand that. I mean, it's our, our culture really is not an erotic, positive culture. 
culture. We're not. We're Puritan people. Please understand, (laughs) North America is still in a Puritan society. I know that you sit there and you go, oh, no, we're not. We're so progressive. No, we're not progressive at all. (laughs) Right. Sorry, guys. Yeah, it's only progressive if people are being advertised to and um, manipulated to purchase some item. That's okay. Exactly. we yeah. um, I just along those lines, we had a in our local gym. We're outside of New York City. We had a flyer for the new book with the card up on the bulletin board in the so gym. So the cover of the book was up on uh, our announcing a just a local launch party that we're having. A couple. It was over a water fountain in the gym, and the gym took it down because a couple of parents had complained that their children would see the cover, which has the words great sex, emotional intimacy, and long-term love on it, Heaven and a forbid. couple smiling at each other. Heaven forbid the children realize that that's... Do you know why? I, I'll tell you. I owned a sex shop that was a combination of a sex shop. It was a head shop. It had jokes. It had T-shirts. It was, it was a fun thing. But I did have porn. I did have sex toys. I did have lingerie. I had it all had all the lotions and the games and all the fun stuff. And it fascinated me to see how parents would literally freak out and cover their children's eyes and rush them out of the store. (laughs) This is the, it's like, you don't understand what you just did. You've just made this bigger in your kid's head than it needed to be. If you just, and yet another, you know, family can walk in, leave their kids alone. They don't care, whatever. Their kids don't even go over there. They don't care. But the minute you cover their eyes and go, no, no, no can't look what is human instinct right? what what am i not allowed to say and but also the message you're sending that child that uh, what about sex sex is something awful shameful and you're not supposed to look at it how is that child ever going to learn how to relate with in an adult situation in a loving way and learn about their own pleasure so very true we teach our children at a very young age that sex is disgusting and that it's but violence is okay go ahead play that video game where you're ripping someone's head off go for it it's it's disturbing but you know i don't think this is something that's necessarily going to change in our lifetime but hey if we can reach even three people hopefully that helps (laughs) well and i would go as far as to say what's fueling what I mean, sex negative culture might be fueling the violence because that energy has to go somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Sure it is. I agree with you completely, Patricia. That's like, honestly, you just said that perfectly. (laughs) Thanks. It's so true. It's just, it's so true. Yeah. So I want everybody to know you're going to be able to pick up the book. Obviously, Amazon. It's going to be available everywhere. It's on Cleus, of course. And it's available as an e-book as of just today. Just came out. Uh, yeah. Yay! Okay, so it's available as an e-book right now. Where? On Amazon. Barnes & Noble, the whole bit. So yeah. definitely pick this up if you want to keep the communication going. And if you guys are planning on getting into alternate lifestyles just as a change, read this first. Otherwise, this whole thing can turn into something very horrible that you don't want it to do. We also invite your listeners to visit uh, www.michaelsandjohnson.com if they would like to have a signed copy. Because that's really... They would love that. That would be fabulous. Lots of hours of ours. Yeah. (laughs) Thousands, literally thousands of hours of conversation in that book. I always tell everybody, if you if you buy the book, if you get the book in any way, shape or form, please leave feedback, positive or negative. Authors need to know what you think of the work that helps them with Absolutely. the next book. Please don't just take it and be quiet. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm really, really happy that I got you on the show. This is fabulous. I know the book is going to be 
amazing. I'm going to make sure that there's links to the book from our website. So thank you very much, Mark and Patricia. Really appreciate it, you guys. Please make sure that you pick up the book. Remember, it's called Partners in Passion, A Guide to Great Sex, Emotional Intimacy, and Long-Term Love. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) I'm hoping you guys learned a little something from what Mark and Patricia had to say. The book is overflowing with ideas to help you reconnect with your partner. Links to pick up the book are on inbedwithdrsue.com. You just have to look up episode number one. And all the links will be right there. Before I take you to my interview with Christina Wright, I have a couple of quick things to tell you guys. First, there is another new website for all you boys interested in financial domination called greedygoddesses.com, where you'll find only the finest financial doms with blogs and articles written by the doms themselves. It's a great way to get to know some of the most intriguing ladies on the internet, so get over there and check out greedygoddesses.com. Also, I am now a contributing writer to Kinky Magazine, an online magazine devoted to not just kink, but there's awesome music reviews, travel, really interesting articles, and I've moved my talk to the doc portion of In Bed to Kinky Magazine. So you can email me there at answerav, that's A-N-S-W-E-R-A-V-E, at Kinky Magazine. It's K-I-N-K. E, the letter E, magazine.com. I'm more than happy to answer your questions on kink, fetish, relationship, sex, anything that's driving you insane. And you will have your question posted and your answer posted as well on Kinky Magazine. Head over there now. You can check out some of the ones that are already up there. There are links to Greedy Goddesses and Kinky Magazine from this episode page. So you can always go to inbedwithdrsue.com and check them out. My next guest is Christina Wright, author of Bedded Bliss, A Couple's Guide to Lust Ever After. She's a mom of two toddlers and a red-hot marriage, and she's sharing her secrets with the world. And one of those secrets is just how different her book is. This is my interview with Christina Wright. So, Christina, tell me what made you decide to write this? Well, Bedded Bliss is a concept that came about as a result of a conversation that I had with both my publisher and an uh, online conversation on, on a blog talking about how committed sex isn't really represented in, in popular culture. We don't see long-term married couples in the movies, in the magazine articles. We see love and sex directed at a younger audience, at a single audience, the focus being on the hookups and the infidelities and the divorces and the sex scandals and, and all of that. And we don't see in popular culture committed married couples who've been together a decade or two decades or even longer who are very much in love and very much in lust with each other. And so we discussed putting this idea together as a nonfiction guide. And I am a primarily a fiction author. I, I'm not a nonfiction writer. Well, I am now, apparently. But I have been married for, <laughs> <laughs> been married for 23 years. So I do have some voice of experience when it comes to long-term committed relationships. But I wanted to balance the nonfiction advice and tips with erotic fiction to show readers that, hey, we're not just talking about how to make your love life better. We're showing you in fiction and through memoir and through our own experiences that, yes, it, it in fact can be. And who better to write a book for, you know, loving, lusting, committed couples than people who, are, who already are in those types of relationships. So I tapped a dozen authors, all of whom were in long-term committed relationships ranging from a couple of years to over three decades, to write stories for this book. So there are a dozen authors contributing their personal experiences in the form of advice 
and you know what worked for us, as well as writing stories that are very realistic, very grounded in you can do this yourself or you can explore this idea in your own bedroom. And so it's balanced out with my own personal experiences for having been married over two decades. And my husband's in the Navy, so I have experience from everything from long-distance relationships to what it's like to, to balance parenting and your your relationship with your partner everything that comes with, you know, once you pass the newlywed stage of getting settled together and, you know, going into midlife together. And so this is a book that is not for couples whose relationships are broken or who feel like divorce is the next step. It's for couples who are strongly in love, very committed, having a good life together, and maybe have hit a stage, whether it's just had a baby or they're looking at, you know, teenagers in the house who get in the way of them being alone together or, you know, couples that are getting older whose parents are maybe moving in with them, that sort of thing. Couples who are hitting some sort of speed bump that may be affecting their intimacy. And so it's a book that you can pick up at any stage from, you know, the day after you've gotten married and you're like, what happens next, to sitting on the, you know, the front porch in a rocking chair saying, hey, we've had a good run, but it's not over yet. And read the stories, read the advice, and feel connected to people who are exactly where you've been in your stage of your relationship and who have advice and some sexy erotica to maybe inspire some new ideas. That's awesome. Let's flip over to say, for example, I know because I'm just seeing this among friends of mine, that there are issues when you have a baby, that it's very easy for the woman to become so involved in the baby, it's new, that the husband gets left behind. What's a quick something that you could throw out there that's from the book that would help with that? But we had our children late in life. I, we didn't have kids until we've been married for 19 years. So I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So I'm very much grounded in this, you know, what happens after the baby comes kind of thing. Because we had almost two decades of marriage, just the two of us, before we brought, you know, children into the picture. So I was very committed to the idea that the relationship is the center of the family. The child is not the center of the family. The babies that you have are not the world doesn't revolve around them or the, you know, the family unit doesn't revolve around them. It revolves around the partnership you have with your spouse or significant other. So I was very committed. I am so glad you just said that. Honest to God, I have seen more couples who, when they have the kids, it's just the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids. They end up, you know, the kids move out 20 years later and they don't even know each other anymore. Exactly. And so we, and I say that because a lot of people get married and have children so quickly after they've, you know, gotten in a relationship that they don't really even know each other when they're having kids. And then by the time the kids move out, they've never had a chance to really know each other as a partner. They've only known each other as, you know, a co-parent. So we already had this established relationship. And when we had a child, I said, we are not going to lose who we are. We're not going, and I made a joke of it. I don't, you know, we've been married two decades. I don't want us to fall apart. The kids will know it was because of them, because, you know, we've been together for two <laughs> decades. <laughs> exactly. I want them to feel guilty. So my simple, quick answer, and, and everybody kind of groans at this, but I know people who say we haven't gone on a date together since we had a kid, and the kid is in high school. Commit to making time for each other, even if it's a once a night or once a week date night that you can plan for three or four hours on a Friday or Saturday night to go to a movie, to have dinner, to go on a hike, whatever it is. Tap your relatives, tap your friends, find a babysitter, and you have to put the baby down. You have to walk away for a few hours and you have to be with your partner doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have sex that night, although, if you, you know, I'll tell you what, regular date nights do re- lead to more regular sex, but it's about reestablishing the intimacy beyond being parents. And so we started having date nights 
my husband was deployed when my, my four-year-old was born. So he didn't come home until baby was five months old. So I had this connection with an infant, and I had to you know, reestablish a connection with my spouse outside of the parenting. So we committed to a That had to be tough because you've been tough. so involved with the baby. There's he's not even been there and now you've oh, that's like starting all over. It was it was an adjustment and after having gone through numerous deployments and having a whole different dynamic when he came home suddenly he's coming home and it's not just me getting to know him again after eight months it's him getting to know his child and the child you know the baby who didn't know his father he'd only seen him for two weeks right after he was born you know kind of building their bond so probably around after he'd been home about four weeks we started going on a regular weekly date night getting a babysitter going out and spending time together and it was such a great way for us to focus on each other and not be you know feeding the baby or you know making sure the baby's okay or you know having the conversation interrupted by the baby crying children are wonderful I mean obviously I went through that experience and then we had another one less than two years later so I, I won't say it was it was a wonderful experience and I love the children and and I love the family that we have built together but the partnership I share with him is always going to come first because, as you said, the kids are going to grow up and move out in a couple of decades, and we're going to be back together. The relationship is going to have to weather the next, you know, 18 years, and the only way to do that is to commit to each other. And so I tell people, I know times are, you know, tough and money is tight. Find a way, even if you have to pay someone, give up your coffee, you know, at Starbucks or whatever it is, find a way to put some money in the budget for you guys to go out alone together it will make all the difference in the intimate connection you spend together and it doesn't have to be a big deal you know i was going to say you don't need to spend a ton of dough you don't have to go to dinner it's a matter of just being together and connecting with your partner on a very emotional level as opposed to just going through the day-to-day yes instead of the okay what does the baby need have you made breakfast or okay what are you know what is laundry need to be swapped whatever even if it's and i always say nap times and bed times are your friend a lot of people you know they say sleep when the baby sleeps and that's great once you get past you know the total exhaustion stage spend nap time with your partner you know spend put the baby to bed and i'm a firm believer in regular bedtimes for children put them to bed spend those two, three hours after they're in bed together being with each other. And it will make all the difference in the world because you will have, you will have that connection and it won't be a matter of a month down the road going, when was the last time we talked about our relationship? When was the last time we talked about our sex life? When was the last time we had sex? It won't be an issue. Even in the tough times, you will say, well, hey, at least we, you know, tonight when the kids go to bed, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll spend some time either watching them. We have some wine, see where it goes. <laughs> You know, and that's the way you stay connected when you have kids. And then, you know, every stage with children, every it seems like it's the worst possible thing when they're infants and when they're toddlers and when they're teething and da 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 da. It's a stage that they will outgrow it, but your partnership is always going to be there and you need to stay committed to it and invest in it. What about long distance? Because that, I think in this day and age, there's more relationships based on long distance because of the internet. People are meeting online, you know, like you have situations like yourself where your husband's deployed, you know, like there's a lot of long distance going on. How can you even, like, how do you deal with that when he's deployed? Military deployments are not what they used to be. We, when we got married, we were dealing with, you You wrote letters, you put them in the mail, they got there when they got there, and you got a response a month later. The internet, email, Skype, makes communicating with someone who's deployed so much easier. It's not across the board. It depends on where they're stationed. But it does make life so much easier. And so 
for long-distance relationships, the important things are regular contact, not waiting until, you know, Tuesday night, once a week to email or something. Regular contact and staying honest. I think it's easy for people when they're writing an email to gloss over their feelings, to gloss over resentments or to gloss over feelings of, you know, anxiety or loneliness or whatever that it may be. And so, so do you do you not but if you go if you turn around and you say to him, Okay, I'm feeling really lonely and I'm really down and I'm really sad because you're not here, does that not put a lot of pressure on him? Like how does he feel about that? Well I would be afraid to do that because he's already <laughs> under pressure, right? And, and see I think that's part of the problem. People are afraid you would do it if if your partner were here. If you were working an eighty hour work week, you wouldn't have any problem saying to him on a Friday night at ten PM when he's not home yet from work hey, I'm really missing you, and I've missed this connection, and we need to do something about this. So there, there's no difference when there's a, a, a physical distance, when it, when, you know, when he's deployed several thousand miles. The feelings are still there, and I think it's important because they're all going to come out. I mean, it may come out in six months or it may come out as the next you know, holiday that he gets to come home or if you're you know, doing a cross-country kind of, you know, your, your bi-coastal careers or something are causing you to be at a distance. At some point, those feelings are going to come to the surface. And I think it's better, personally, I've, I've found it, it's better to at least express them as they're happening rather than to let all that build up and explode. I think that's where people start looking to somebody else for what they need because they can't turn to their partner. Or they feel like they can't turn to their partner. And this goes across the board. This is everything from sexual fantasy to feelings of, you know, loneliness because of a, a career separation or a parenting separation. People turn to somebody else because it's easier than confronting those feelings and saying, I know it's going to make you uncomfortable to hear this. I know you're not going to like it, but here's the truth. I don't feel like we're connecting because you are in another country or because you're across the country or whatever the situation is. Once those words are out, once you have said, I feel this way, then you can work together to find a solution, whether it's, okay, we're going to try and meet in the middle and, you know, if we're, you know, living on opposite sides of the country, or maybe we can arrange for you to fly over where I'm deployed, or maybe we'll just have more regular Skype dates where you can see me and talk to me and connect with me. But to let it all just kind of lay there and not deal with it, I think is where people start looking to somebody else to fulfill those needs, because it's like, well, I'm lonely, she's not here, he's not here, I'll do something, you know, it won't hurt the relationship. And you know what, it does hurt the relationship, because even if you're finding it with somebody else, you're not telling your partner how you're feeling. And they know that something's not right. You you can gloss oh, yeah. over it. You can, <laughs> you can gloss over it all you want and say everything's great, everything's fine. By a one-line text. <laughs> exactly. So you, you have to find ways to work through it together. And if it's, you know, Skyping together or if it's, you know, writing erotic emails to each other to, you know, keep some sort of sense of intimacy together, whatever it is, you have to, I mean, communication is the sexiest thing in the world. It's, it's about connecting with somebody's brain and it's not about the sex you have. It's about being able to communicate what your needs are and what you want to share with your partner. And I think who wants to hear, oh, everything's great. I'm doing fine without you. Nobody wants to hear that anyway. So if anything, that's causing resentment on his side, being like, wow, she can get along without me. Okay. So um, then maybe he's looking for somebody else. Well, she's fine and I'm lonely. So I think once somebody takes the first step and says, hey, there is a problem in our relationship, whatever the situation may be, I'm not feeling good about where we are right now. Let's talk about it. I think that first step opens the door for the communication that makes it possible for you to resolve whatever the issue may be. And sometimes you can't with a long-distance relationship. It's a time frame thing. I'm going to be gone for a year. There's nothing we can do about it. 
so we have to make it work within the constraints of the year. And I'll tell you what, having gone through, I don't even, I've lost count of how many times we've been separated six months, three months, eight months. It's been years over the course of our relationship. But I always tell people this, I could never do what you do. I could never be apart from my husband or wife for that long. I'll tell you what, over the course of your entire life together, it's a drop in the bucket. You know, it's, it's not it's that true. much time. So if you think in terms of we are together until death do us part, six months is not, you can do it. You can do six months. You can do a year if you have to. You can do whatever it takes to maintain that relationship. Well, what about the case, like I said, with, with your husband? Okay, coming from a female point of view, mm-hmm. I would be afraid to say that because of the pressure that he's under, and I don't want him feeling guilty for doing what he's doing. Do you, like, I'm just kind of trying to look at it from another woman's standpoint who may be looking at it and going, oh, I could never tell him that. He's all the way over there. He can't fix this. I would feel so bad. I, I do agree. I think there's a balance there. I don't think you need to drop the bombshell of if you don't come home, I'm going to be, you know, sleeping with somebody else or something like that. But I think if you go into it before the separation happens, before the deployment happens, and you say, how are we going to cope? What do you want to know? I always told my husband, or asked him before he would leave, I'm like, how much do you want to know about what's going on? And he always said everything. Oh, that's a good one. And he always said he wanted to know everything. And I'm like, okay, are you sure? If, if I'm really having a bad situation, do you want to know? And he said yes. And I know spouses would be like, I don't want to know, you know, I don't want to know about the dog getting run over or something. You know, whatever this, you know, <laughs> they would say these are the limits right. for me. So if you said, it's just like anything else. If you set your limits beforehand, you don't want to know about, you know, a, a job loss or you don't want to know about, you know, whatever. But I think when it comes to the personal feelings, it, it's, he's missing me as much as I'm missing him. So I'm back to that. Who wants to hear I'm doing fine without you? I think there's a need. I think that, you know what? That's something that we are so programmed to do is, you know, when someone goes, Oh, how are you doing? Fine. Right. It's, exactly. So you're so programmed just to gloss, like you said, gloss over everything. And again, it comes from that standpoint of, you know, Oh, I don't want this person to be upset, but you're right. You know, it's, I think it's better that they know because you want to know you're missed. Absolutely. And I think it makes you feel like you have something to come home to, to know that there is an, uh, uh, your absence is being felt. On the flip side of that, I think it's important to say, I miss you, but I'm counting the days and this is what I need from you. I need, you know, give, drop me a couple of extra letters or let's schedule an appointment to talk, you know, sooner than we're planning to. If you can say I'm lonely and this is what I need, I think that takes some of the pressure off because it's not about make him fix it. It's about right. here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I think would help me with you. And and the same goes for him. He can say, you know, this really sucks being over here. And it's always harder for the person who's away from home. Mm-hmm. It, you know, for me, I've got my home. I've got my friends. I've got my kids. If he's gone, my life continues on day to day. It's just, you know, he's missing. He leaves. He's missing everything. He's missing all the holidays. He's missing the kid. He's missing the house. He's missing the, you know the pizza place that we love. So he's he's definitely in a harder situation. So it would really bother me if he's like, you know, everything's going great. And, uh, you know, I find I've lost track of how long I've been gone. No, I want to hear her. I really can't wait to get back. So I think if you can say to your partner, this is what I need from you to feel better about the separation. The other thing is, any situation you're in, especially like a deployment or a separation, if you can do two things, think about reminisce together about things that you've done. And also plan ahead for when you're together again. I think that takes 
some of the sting out of the separation when you can say, hey, remember that time two years ago when we went to the beach and, you know, something happened on the beach, <laughs> whatever. Or saying, hey, you know, a month after you come home, let's plan a trip, let's go somewhere together, alone together, blah, blah, blah. And you can work out the deals, details together. And it, there's a sense of like, hey, we're, we are in this together. We're not together at the moment physically, but hey, let's plan this trip, let's plan this special time together for when we get back. And it gives you something to focus on both past and future when the current moment is not what you want it to be. This book sounds absolutely amazing. I love the fact that you threw in the erotica with it and that the erotica is geared towards the whole basis of the book. I think that is such an amazing idea. How did you find everybody that you wanted to put into the book? Well, these are all authors I worked with before. I know them. This wasn't an open call for submissions. I, I sent emails to about 20 authors that I knew that are you know, married or in long-term committed relationships who have publicly said that they're you know, in a happy relationship and, and talked to me personally about you know, their, their relationship. So I knew these authors already before they signed on with me, and I told them about the project, and that it was an unusual project. It was certainly a one-of-a-kind. I've never seen a book like this before where we take advice and, you know, relationship tips and that sort of thing and combine it with erotica. And so I had this kind of overwhelming response from people about, yeah, I want to be a part of this. And, you know, I made it clear that I wanted authors to write about what they had experienced. So you're not getting a story about what it's like to have kids and, you know, a healthy sex life from people that have, you know, from an author that's never had children. It's it's very much, they have to have lived it. So like Donna George Story has been married almost 30 years, I believe, writes a story called Vintage, Vintage Love, and it's all about her long-term relationship with her husband over two decades' worth of being together, and it's a very sweet and sexy and intimate story, and it's fictional, but you know it's kind of based on her own. She's lived it. She knows exactly what she's talking about in terms of what it's like to go into your later years with a long-term partner. So we have these stories from authors who have lived through the stages that they're writing about. That's why I wanted to work with authors that I knew. I wanted to know that they were bringing themselves to the work. And I I think the book turned out so beautifully because each story opens with a little anecdote from the authors about their own realistic, you know, personal experience. And, And it's all things that most couples experience at one time or another, whether it's a financial situation, a partner losing their job and how you deal with that. And it sounds all really dark and dreary, but really it's all about, it's, I don't know, I think it's very liberating and very freeing to know that in the course of real life, you still can have a very healthy, committed, sexy relationship with your partner because we don't see that reflected. And, and you, as you said, people, you say, how are you doing? People say, fine. And that's great for out in the world, but when you close that door, and you're alone together, you should be able to let down those walls and be yourselves. And you can be upset about, you know, the kid not getting into private school or, or you know, the car is broken down in the driveway. You can deal with all the realistic issues, but you can, you can also share it with your partner and find a way to make it yours and reestablish that commitment together because, hey, what is, you know, we're, we're our most honest selves at the beginning of a relationship because we don't care about the person, you know, we, we don't have the same vested interest in somebody when we start dating them as we do 10 years down the road. So we'll tell them all our, you know, <laughs> horrible experiences and our dirty laundry. But then 10 years down the road, we're doing that thing that we do with, you know, total strangers. I'm fine. Everything's cool. Don't worry about me. And it's like, no, you need to be vulnerable with your partner in order to keep the intimacy strong. And people forget that. And so I think 
these authors have given us this wonderful gift of showing us what it's really like from the perspective not only of an erotica writer, who better to write sexy stories than an erotica writer, but also as, as half of a partnership where they have dealt with everything that any couple could possibly deal with. So there really is this well-rounded sense of community in this book, I think, and it, it comes from the authors knowing each other and trusting me to give their words uh, a proper, appropriate platform to be delivered. And that's why I think this book turned out as well as it did. It's really kind of an amazing, one-of-a-kind sort of book where you can read my introductions and talking about the different stages of the relationship and then segue right into a story that is sexy and romantic, but also very realistic in terms of you could live this, this could be your life, you can experience this with your partner. Well, yeah, it's almost like you can um, take those little pieces of erotica and even kind of reenact them, can yeah, you Yeah, absolutely. That was that was the entire purpose. There's a section on uh, different flavors of lust. So we, we address uh, DSM, we talk about opening up your relationship, although it, the, the book is kind of geared toward committed couple, you know, monogamous couples. It also introduces the idea that not everybody functions best as a, you know, a two-person couple. Some people want to explore other areas of their sexuality without losing their relationship, without losing right. the partnership that they share. So that so, is in there. Yeah. So you guys have covered the alternative end of things. Yes, too. we have co- we, we touched on it. I mean, you would need a whole other book, and, and I'm hoping there will oh, be no a doubt. second. <laughs> there will be a, hopefully there will be a second edited list where we go into, you know, other aspects of a committed relationship. But yeah, we definitely touched on alternative sex in, in a variety of ways. And then the last section of the book is a bunch of short pieces, uh, and it's all about the quickie and how for a lot of couples, especially if you have kids, especially if you have demanding career, careers, sometimes the quickie in sex sustains you for a period of time. And so I, I kind of raise the quickie up from this kind of you know joke that it's become to, hey, let's make the best of it and how can we have fun with it? And so there's a bunch of stories with different scenarios that kind of glorify the quickie, I guess. So I thought it was a fun little section to give people. So if you just want a little quick read, a little inspiration, it's a great little section at the end of the book. But everything before that is about dealing with, you know, your relationship right after the honeymoon period is over or right after you've had kids or in the middle of, you know, some sort of crisis in the family or whatever and how you stay connected. And then I have a section that's all about making a holiday of your togetherness because a lot of couples, especially once you have families, holidays are all revolved around the kids, your parents, the extended family coming into town. And so I wanted something to represent how we celebrate the relationship between myself and my spouse or, you know, the, the other authors in the book celebrate their relationship. So it's all about celebrating yourself as a couple, not just your wedding anniversary, whether it's your first kiss that you, you know, have the date remembered or first date or first time you had sex or whatever it is, celebrating those little moments of your relationship for your whole life. That is so awesome. I, I just, I can't wait to read this myself. To be totally honest, I am dying to read it. That's oh, great. So I'm... <laughs> I am going to be picking it up. I know you guys are going to want to pick it up too. I'm assuming that we're on Amazon and all the usual, Absolutely, you know, yes, yes. Oh, yes, of course. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for being with me today, Christina. I really appreciate it. I will make sure that everyone has tons of links so they know how to find the book and go get it, but definitely pick up Bedded Bliss, A Couple's Guide to Lust Ever After by Christina Wright. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you for having me. Thank you. The links to both Bedded Bliss and Partners in Passion are listed 
on InBedWithDrSue.com on the show page for Keeping Your Love Alive. I think both of those books, if you were to bundle them as, you know, put two together, would make a really cool engagement present for a new couple. I think it would start them off on the right foot. I now have the distinct pleasure of introducing you to Captain Joe's new segment, Average Joe. The topic of this week's In Bed is relationships. And when I heard about this, I thought about the relationships I had over the past couple of decades, where they've gone, where they haven't. And none of them really have gone to the final ultimate stage in any relationship, which is the marriage, the union. And I thought right now, you know, the government is debating at the state level whether or not they'll accept gay and same-sex marriages, or in some states, whether or not they're going to allow businesses to even deny same-sex marriages services. And I thought, you know, it's time maybe to get the average Joe's opinion on where this is is heading. So I went to Google, punched in usual search to find some statistics on marriage and divorce. And the second site coming up is the CDC NCHS, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the National Center for Health Statistics. That's right the government agency publishing marriage and divorce statistics is the same one that brings you your monthly flu outbreak in the winter any e coli outbreaks uh, you know an impossible ebola affection yeah they're also the ones responsible for marriage and divorce so i'm beginning to think that if the government can't even really classify it properly are they really going to get an effective solution here when i think about it the first document created by this government was the declaration of independence a document that said certain truths were sacred uh, the preservation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There was no actual happiness guaranteed. So if you're looking to the government for a solution to make you happy, it never really was guaranteed. So, you know, try to find that happiness for yourself. Right now I'm in a state where gay marriages, same-sex marriages, is actually legal. And you get the occasional invite for these things. And, you know, you have two friends, or maybe one friend, and they're going to get married, and it's going to be a gay ceremony. And you sit there and you wonder, exactly what are the odds there will be cute heterosexual bridesmaids for me to hook up with at this ceremony? Uh, so far, I can say there's been none. Yes, I'm glad that my friend has found somebody and they're throwing this really big party to celebrate this. But, um, you know, throw me a bone. Throw me at least one bridesmaid that I at least have a shot at hooking up with. And for those that are in a state where, you know, you can't, get your same-sex marriage, uh, enjoy a relationship because, you know, marriage either ends in divorce or death. 
This has been Joe Mirage for The Average Joe on In Bed. So my Jerry Springer final thoughts on keeping your love alive comes down to this. Relationships, like many things in this world, need to be nurtured and cultivated. We've become a throwaway society, a bunch of sheep being led by electronic devices and the next shiny object to come along. We don't even raise our heads anymore when we're walking. And it's too easy to give up when the going gets tough, especially when the really cool part is how close you get after you've come through all the bullshit. What works today may get boring tomorrow, but as long as you have a deep connection with your partner, reigniting that ember that you thought had gone out takes a single breath to cause it to glow again. That's it for episode one of In Bed with Dr. Sue, the podcast. Be sure to tune in to the next episode when, fingers crossed, this is kind of tentative at the moment because we may be running into technical difficulties, but hopefully my guest will be Dominic Chiara, who you will remember from our show on financial domination, and the lovely Dom Kaya. And we're going to be debating an offshoot of financial domination, and that is blackmail. It's a very touchy subject with a strong opinion on both sides. What do you think of blackmail? Is it crazy? Have you participated and been hurt by it? Have you participated and loved it? Give us your thoughts. Call me at 347-759-6131 and leave a message and I'll get your opinion on the show. In the meantime, on behalf of Captain Joe and myself, be uplifting, be inspiring, but most of all, be happy. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 